0: To think back 10, 15, 20 years ago, when did the hospital start realizing that working with an individual, a patient, on their social determinants of health were so important to engage with them outside of the walls of the hospital?
1: In the late 90s, the hospital system invested in an organization called Partners for a Healthier Community, and it really was this step at, hey, let's look at those agencies and institutions and our challenges outside of the four walls of the hospital to see how we do a better job of connecting the dots. Welcome to Intersection.
0: I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller.
1: At the time, we were very much in was in a fee-for-service world, right? So, the more times you come, the more times the hospital gets paid, and it was incentivized to treat you, right? Just provide treatment, stabilizing treatment, uh, to hope and hopefully you get better. But if you come back, the incentive was that if you come back, we get paid again.
0: Recidivism, social determinants of health. And what does recidivism have to do with readmission rates? Is there a cycle, a pattern, a deeper exploration surrounding how those who are mentally ill access the care they need before the cycle begins, or even in the midst of the cycle? This cycle is happening, and it's bigger than the four walls of the hospital. So many questions. Here is Michael Cunningham from Health, member of the Anderson County CJCC.
1: What a lot of people don't really see as it relates to the Affordable Care Act was that it forced that transformation uh, for a couple of reasons. One was a demographic one, right? We have uh, 10 to 15,000 people per day becoming Medicare eligible. That is, the baby boomers are a huge demographic group that's gonna be uh, hitting our healthcare system in a much different way than what we've ever seen before. And it said that we have to do something when you have this huge bolus of people that are going to be engaging in the healthcare system in a different way. And at the same time you had a high number of people that were still uninsured that were also hitting the healthcare system. You have to do something different or else the our country's healthcare system would not be able to sustain those two groups consistently hitting the healthcare system in large numbers, which is going to start happening more and more. So that forced a change in the reimbursement model to say that instead of fee for service, let's look more at value. Not how many times we treat you, but is the treatment going to make you better overall and healthier so that you don't come back as often so that only the people that are being seen in the inpatient setting are the people that really, really need it. Are they getting access to their care in the proper location at the proper time? So I think Partners for Health Community was looking at that much earlier than the rest of the country because they had um, Healthwise Handbook, they had um, a call-in, a nurse line, all those things that were available to the community that were way ahead of this time. And so this is, I think, a return to that concept in a little bit broader way. Um, But that has been something that the hospital has been engaged in for an awful long time. And so this is uh, it's rewarding to see that work continue and to be a part of it. But it was something that started far, far before me. But I was working in the county at the time. And so I could see some of that work being done and they partnered with the county. And that was one of the things that I learned is that this isn't these issues aren't issues that a single institution can solve that you need to have partnerships. And so uh, as I was growing in my career and seeing um, the Kirk Oglesby's and the John Millers and the Bill Mansons and the work that they were doing, it was also very informative and it helped me understand that there is no one institution that can address and solve these issues. You have to work together.
0: There's a lot of issues this county is challenged with too. You know, Um, why... Or maybe let me ask you this way. When did Ammed start realizing we've got to solve or work to solve together in a partnership with issues with the jail? What was the red flag that said, you know what, we need to be part of that conversation?
1: And I think for the hospital system, we started to look more and more at the number of people that we were seeing in our emergency department that had um, everything from substance abuse to mental health issues. And oftentimes those folks would connect with the hospital system, but there would also be some interaction with law enforcement. And as we begin to have additional conversations, you were seeing that as a community, we're investing lots of resources in caring for people in the ED as well as in our jail. And the question was that, can we do that more efficiently? Can we get to the core and the root causes of some of these interactions so that we provide a service that allows that person to be successful and not continue to either end up in our jail or in our emergency department? And that I think that conversation was prompted um, simply because of what we were continuing to observe on the ED side of things. Uh, as a hospital system, but it it began to force us to ask questions about you know wow this this person that we've seen in our ED we've seen them you know forty times, and who else is seeing these these folks? And the answer sometimes oftentimes was that you know this person has also been in jail ten times or been arrested ten times uh, for some type of issue, and what is what is causing that? What is the core cause of that? Because I, I haven't met anyone that wanted to be sick and there's very few people who desire to be arrested and incarcerated. Usually there's this core issue that's driving that, right?
0: I remember when I was awoken to this cycle, when I worked with the South Carolina Hospital Association on a mental health initiative. You know, at the time, Bull Street was the main mental hospital, and now it is, it's a ghost town. Well, there's a lot of economic development going on there with new things, but still at the same time, it's a ghost town. The old shackles are still inside there from the old days. And, and what we started looking at is that cycle in Charleston County and following an individual that, you know, may have some medications to help them with whatever mental or psycho-related issues that they may have. So like, and so they would take their medication and then run out and then they'd have a episode, so to speak. They would be incarcerated. Then they would get into incarceration and realize they need to see the doctor for those issues. They'd go to the emergency department. They'd sit there and go through that process. And the cycle would continue over and over again. And it was burdensome on the county jail. It was burdensome on the ED. It was burdensome on, the sheriff's department that had to transport them and take away from other things that they could be working on so it was an opportunity to look at that cycle and i'm very thankful for that work because when i heard about this idea of a cjcc coming to anderson county i was like i need to go check this out when you heard about this why did Ahmed say we're going to be involved why was that important to say we're gonna be at the table?
1: Well, I think for Criminal Justice Coordinating Council, they're a part of their goal is to look at not only the efficiencies in the judicial system, but look at some of the overall access issues that impact the community that may in particular impact the jail population. And our local CJCC is doing great work at analyzing the data Around are we being efficient in uh, the people that we arrest and how we prosecute and process them? Are we asking the right questions around what exactly led to that incarceration? And are we providing the proper services for people uh, either to prevent their incarceration or immediately after they're being incarcerated so that they don't come back? that very much aligns with what we want to do as it relates to overall community health. And so listening to the work of the CJCC, and especially as it related to people with substance abuse and um, mental health issues, that very much aligned with what we were looking at as a hospital system and how we wanted to impact this idea of readmissions. And so those two things, again, different terminology, but they very closely aligned with work that we were doing and wanting to do. And so we are excited about how our CJCC is continuing to grow, especially as it relates to you, you mentioned the issue of the person getting medication and then running out of that medication and then cycling back into some type of crisis. We had been working with our Department of Mental Health and other healthcare providers in the region at crisis stabilization units. And our General Assembly has been great. And I would like to thank um, Representative Brian White. He was a champion of getting funding uh, in the state budget to look at developing crisis stabilization units across the state. And this is something that we've explored so that that person who is in mental health crisis can instead of going to jail, because they may be acting out, or going to our emergency department, can actually go to a setting that is an inpatient setting for three to four days get back on their medication, have the proper case management and the co- proper follow-up that will allow them to continue to be su- successful. And that is a type of intervention that uh, will have a positive impact on our jail population. It will have a positive impact on our hospitals. And it will have an overall positive impact on the people being served and their families. And so those type of resources and having the conversations around those type of resources and uh, opportunities for our community is what I think led the hospital system to say that hey this work is very important even though it's outside the four walls of the hospital uh, there's conversations about a mental health court so people who may be arrested for a property offense or some nonviolent offense not having to funnel them through the traditional uh, judicial system saying that you know what we recognize that you have at your core issue is a mental health issue let's work with you to get that addressed and and allow you to avoid processing through our criminal justice system for your for your health need, we wouldn't do that to someone that had high blood pressure right. or diabetes. Right. But someone that has a mental health issue, we often are okay, or maybe not okay. We don't have another pathway for them if they and and we send them to jail or in our ED. And so, bringing some parity to mental health as it relates to any other chronic disease condition is what we also I think are, are aligning ourselves to do a better job of and the hospital system working with the CJCC is a part of that. And I think the other great thing is that there are lots of other entities involved, right? That from the county to not-for-profits to numerous state agencies, our judicial system. There's all these stakeholders around the table, right? For groups that are serving veterans, we have a, a wide, broad um, cohort of people that are saying that, hey, this is an important issue. And we want to see the county be able to have the right resources, not just for the county, not just for law enforcement, but for all of us. And that's
0: exciting. Anderson County is the second CJCC in the state. How amazing is that to say that we're walking down a path to do something, do some amazing work that is very forward thinking, but very necessary when you walk in that room, what is it like
1: refreshing it's it's very refreshing and it is encouraging so yes, there's only one other c j c c in the state, and that one is heavily subsidized with grant dollars and ours right now we are we're operating on i think a relatively conservative tiny budget and doing great things and so when you walk into a room and you see one the energy and you see the really the Uh, potential of a group like this it makes you excited and it makes you want to get involved and it also forces you to think what can i bring to the table that's going to help this effort move forward in meaningful ways and um i I think that's what you what you see when you walk into that room when you you see everyone from the clerk of court to our solicitor to um, not-for-profits our veterans affairs county government detention center office healthcare mental health you see all these people around the table and you're like wow this this has the potential to be a transformational for our community and we we think of charleston as like this jewel of the state right this this very historic and forward-leaning city and this known nationally but put it in perspective we're we're the only second one in the state to be established and so um you know, I, to kind of paraphrase uh, Coach Swinney, like Lulu Anderson, right?
0: Lulu Anderson,
1: we're we're doing great things right here.
0: One of the things that I get excited about the CJCC is, and one of the reasons why I wanted to do this interview is, um, I'm just a community member. I do not, I do not get paid by any type of service through tax dollars, through healthcare dollars, any of that stuff. I'm just a community member, and I wanted to serve mainly just to be a part of this conversation, meet people in the community that serve this community. But what I found is when I leave, I ask myself every time I walk out of there, what am I doing today to help? Because there are some very passionate people in the room about what they're doing. And what's even more amazing to me is that There's a lot of passionate discussion in the room, but these people are coming to the table each time to talk about those topics. When you look at the work of the CJCC, what do you think the potential is for this county over the next five to 10 years?
1: A Couple of things. One, I think clearly one of the goals, right, is to do the work that demonstrates to the public that uh, investing in a new detention center is the right answer, right? And I I believe that that work is ongoing, and I believe that that this group will be successful in demonstrating that this is an appropriate investment. And I use that term um, for a reason: investment in um, building a new jail, because of that can also have a huge impact for our community. Um, that investment may allow us to look at the people who are in jail and ask really good questions we're developing those processes should they be there should they be there for that long and i think it will give us a chance to educate the community as a whole right a detention center is just that it is is really a pre-conviction detain detained detention facility right so a lot of the people there have not been formally convicted of a crime they're awaiting trial now after conviction based on the length of sentence, you could be sent off to prison, but our detention centers are just that. They're there to hold people until their trial. And then after the disposition of the trial, then they are sent away or back home. And so having those questions, I think that work is ongoing, that we will demonstrate that this is the right investment. So I think that happens. The other thing is that the synergy and the relationships that are being developed as a result of the CJCC, I think will bleed over into other areas, right? I think we will have the potential to have community-wide support for crisis stabilization units. I think we'll have community-wide support for things like uh, mental health court. I think it will drive us to conversations around transitional housing and affordable housing. It'll help us have these conversations around transportation or the lack thereof. It'll help us have these conversations around um, Targeted economic development to make sure that everyone has access to the opportunity of, of a really hot economy and why that's important. So I think it gives us if you once you begin to cooperate and once you begin to work together, I think what you'll find is that, hey, this bears fruit. And this is something that's not only the right thing to do, but it's the easy thing for us to do because we've done it before. And we've seen the the positive impacts of that. Um, There's a person, uh, her name is Dr. Becky Campbell. And uh, she used to be the director of DHEC uh, for here in Anderson. And she said something in a meeting uh, that has always stuck with me. She says, what are you going to wear today, an apron or a bib? And she says, will you have an apron that says, I'm here to serve and to help and be of service to you? Or will you wear a bib that says, I only want to be served. I only want to be given something. And she says, I hope you will determine that, that you wake up each day and decide that you're going to wear the apron. Right. And so uh, I think this group working the way that it is working says that, hey, we were, we're going to wear the apron. We're going to be we're going to work together to serve and to meet a certain goal and
0: purpose. When we look at the CJCC and the work from a 30,000 foot level, um, it just makes sense. Synergy conversation, collaboration, partnership, common work, thinking about how we invest our public dollars in detention centers and how do we make sure that readmission rates go down and recidivism is reduced so that we can create a vibrant population so that people can get to work and be healthy. At 30,000 foot level, that sounds awesome. It's a big goal. It's a lot of goals and it's a lot to strive for. When we go down to the ground level, what does this mean for the emergency room? Why should I care about this when I walk through the emergency room every day or for a need when I have a child that has broken a leg? Why should I care about this work?
1: Yeah, and that's a great question, right? Because ultimately it's very personal. And so um, our emergency department has, I think, 35 beds, right? And on any given day, we may have 10 or 12 of those occupied by somebody with a mental health issue. Yes. Uh, anyone from, you know, a 30 year old to a 50 year old to an 8 year old or a 10 year old. And so what that does, and any emergency department is going to, best work when it's efficient and the people there are coming in for a trauma, you mentioned a broken leg, we treat that broken leg and we get you stabilized and we're able to get you home. And that's how our emergency department works really well. When it breaks down is that when you have a third of your beds occupied by people who can't go anywhere because of their mental health issue or uh, even their substance issue, they can't go anywhere. So they stay for Ten hours, or twelve hours, or twenty-four hours, or thirty-six hours, because we don't have proper placement for them. Well, that means that the throughput is impacted. So you walk in for your broken finger or broken leg, and you're like, "Well, why does it take so long?" And it's because many of the people that we may be serving, it's not a trauma; it's a long-standing social need that we're trying to address in an emergency department setting. So as we're able to come together and address some of these needs and get people to get their care in the proper setting, then what you'll see is the efficiency of the emergency department begin to pick up because the people that are being seen there truly have emergencies.
0: It is compassion if you think about it. Us as humans, if we're like my mother, my mother's a nurse practitioner inside the emergency room, and she just can't look at someone and say, "You know what, that bed needs to be filled by someone that we can serve today." I just can't kick you out. I'm not going to kick you out just because you have a mental health need. You got to go figure that out. Leon. That's not being compassionate,
1: right? So that's, and that's generally not the way that caregivers are wired. No, right? And so that would go contrary to how to their DNA, and it go it would go contrary to the DNA of our organization. I but understand. beyond all that, beyond all that. It goes contrary to what we are held to as a legal standard, right, right as a healthcare system. So we um, we have a responsibility to see everyone that walks through the door, irregardless of their condition or their ability to pay. We we can't by law or by mission turn them away. And so that complicates things sometimes because the person who has the, the mental health challenge there, they really would be better served in a crisis stabilization unit but until that is stood up we don't have anywhere else for them to go and so they they will stay and or if it's an adolescent or pediatric person with a with a mental health issue because there's only really one facility in the state and there's no place for them to go we can't send them back home and they have to stay with us and that impacts that throughput so from from a practical application for the person walking around out there how will it impact them as we bring these resources online and people are able to get care in the proper setting, you'll see efficiencies begin to improve in other areas. But not just in the emergency department, right? If you're a sheriff's deputy, and three of your calls, three out of your five calls, are for some someone with either a substance abuse or a, or a mental health issue, and then you have to take that person, drive them to the emergency department, make sure they're processed in before you get back out on the road to answer other calls, then there's also inefficiency in that system. And so if there's a way to outreach to that person, get them in the proper care setting, then that sheriff's deputy doesn't spend as much of his time responding to those issues as to uh, responding to a, maybe a breaking and entering or some domestic violence issue. It allows that sheriff's deputy, just like our emergency department, to operate at a high level of efficiency, and everyone
0: benefits from that. And we could even take it to the jail. You know, our jail is overcrowded by 200 people on a monthly basis the standard at which it's supposed to hold to is grossly under what the population is. And the CJCC is very committed to getting those numbers down. And it there's no efficiency. If you're overcrowded, how do you build another jail or make improvements when you don't have room to move these people around?
1: And they don't have room to move people around. again. Uh, think about the jail being built in 1954 or 56. The population of Anderson County at that time, right, right? compared to us approaching or over 200,000 population today, still being served by that same footprint of the jail. And so, no, those efficiencies aren't there. And like the healthcare facility, the jail operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So that that means continuous, nonstop op- operation for that amount of time right so those inefficiencies for the people that are serving there um, where you can't make technological upgrades simply because of that population and it also impacts the safety of the detention officers as well as the people who are there being detained and again many of them prior to any type of conviction they're being detained right and so all of that efficiency can be approved with um, the right type of facility but the facility is again, we will demonstrate the need for that investment because we have done the, the heavy lifting of the partnering.
0: Why should we care about the health and well being of the individuals that are constantly going back and forth? I think it goes back to our earlier conversation about being committed to the area. And I was kind of thinking about our discussion here is that being a part of the CJCC is necessary because as we grow and the economy increases and more companies come to this area, there's gonna be higher demand. So we do have a commitment to the community to be actively involved, wouldn't you say?
1: I would absolutely say that. Um, I think the other important part of this is that, you know, it'd be great if you could go into your own home and stay there all the time and never interact with anyone else. But the reality is, we all have to get outside of our homes and we all have to um, be a part of this community simply because we have to, right? And so it would be great for me to believe that in my own tight circle, I never have to worry about what happens outside of that circle. But the reality is that we're all connected. We're all a part of this community and we will all benefit if we work together.
0: Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation surrounding recidivism and Anderson County CJCC. Interested to learn more? Check out the show notes to learn more about Anderson County CJCC. For more information about our show or other episodes, go to intersectionpodcast.com. That is intersectionpodcast.com. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network, a podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.